Women Taking the Lead, Episode 101. I think it's really easy to get caught up in all of the the little things that can keep us down and keep us from focusing on things that are truly nurturing and sustaining and fulfilling. And that if we do kind of step back and think about being these tiny little specks in the universe and that, you know, ultimately nothing in the grand scheme of things is that important, there's this liberation that comes with that because the other side of it is, hey, I am this tiny little speck of dust in a, in, a, in a greater universe, but I can put all of my time and energy into doing things that are both going to make all of the people around me, all of the, the lives that I touch that much better and simultaneously enhance my own happiness and my own sense of fulfillment with my own life. Hello, my name is Jody Flynn and welcome to Women Taking the Lead, where we are all about creating blasts of inspiration to help you overcome self-doubt so you can lead with confidence, integrity, and a sense of humor. Head over to womentakingthelead.com to get the solutions to your top five leadership challenges. Now, your future awaits, so let's get started. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us today. I'm here with Kim Eisenberg, who is a career counselor and organizational development consultant who helps people in businesses create healthy relationships with work. She blends her expertise in corporate career services, counseling, and organizational leadership to deliver candid strengths-based approaches to career and business development. Okay, Kim, that's just a little intro for everyone. So tell us more about you and your own humble beginnings. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Jody, for having me on the podcast. I'm extra excited after chatting with you for a few minutes and getting an even more in-depth sense of what you have your guests on to talk about. So um, yeah, I'm really excited to be here. And like you said in your intro, I'm a career counselor and an organizational development consultant, which is a huge mouthful, but um, hopefully <laughs> I will uh, be able to, to talk about all of those things and weave them together in a way that makes sense. So in terms of my own humble beginnings, I, uh, I I really enjoy talking about this story when it's appropriate to do so and now seems like a good time. So I grew up in a middle-class household with really high expectations about what I was going to do with my life. Um, you know, people with graduate degrees and professional paths and um, very, really, uh, the, the path was laid out for me and it was clear. And due to a whole variety of factors, things just, you know, dysfunctional household growing up stuff, by the time I was a teenager... I was super depressed, engaging in a whole bunch of really self-destructive behaviors, um, the things you would sort of imagine a, an angsty 16-year-old to do, and wound up dropping out of high school in my senior year, uh, much to the chagrin of my entire family, my community my friends. It was a, a big deal. And I just got completely derailed off the path and couldn't get out of my own way. It took me a really long time to get back on a path and to actually make a path for myself because I really lost touch with whatever the societal expectations were for doing it right. And over time, 
between dropping out of high school and then getting a GED and then floundering, you know, not really being able to progress very much in terms of school or in terms of career, I, I spun my wheels for a while and, you know, developed all of these scripts in my head about what that meant, that I had dropped out of high school. I didn't have a college degree. I wasn't making that much money. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. And slowly over time, I, I chipped away at it and I got increasingly better career path positions, um, working both in nonprofits and private industry. I went to school at night and finally finished my bachelor's degree at age 30. <laughs> I um, went on after that to do a graduate degree in, in just a couple years, which felt like um, a, an amazing magical whirlwind to <laughs> to finish a degree program in just a few years, two years actually, um, and so and so over the years it really was up to me. I didn't have any sort of framework or any sort of system in place to pick myself up and turn it around. It was just a ton of trial and error over time to get to a place where I felt like I had something to offer, where I felt really confident in myself, where I felt like I was making valuable contributions and I felt the sense of esteem and confidence that comes from being able to be successful and being able to be, um, to a certain extent, self-made. And um, it's, it's interesting to be where I am now having been an entrepreneur out on my own for the past three years and having all of those experiences behind me and see that trajectory and how much of a roller coaster it was and how much I had to struggle mostly to get out of my own way to do the things that I wanted to do. So it's really fun to reflect on. And I'm, I'm super happy that you ask about the humble beginnings stuff. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, Kim, congratulations. <laughs> By the way, for all of that, I don't want to just focus on the graduate degree, though that is pretty awesome, but what it must have taken for you to just do, like, make the little course corrections, you know, to get yourself back on track, that was quite a journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, the graduate degree, by the time I got there, that was the easy part. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was um, spending the entirety of my 20s trying to figure out how to hold down full-time jobs and to figure out what my value was and the kind of contributions I wanted to make while having a life, while going to school at night and just chipping away at that the bachelor's degree over time. So that was rough. <laughs> doing, yes. Doing a two-year MSW program full-time because I was married and had the luxury of being a full-time student. That was a luxury. <laughs> Right. That I I have a friend who did the same thing and she loved that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. But when you have the mental mindset that supports it and tells you that you can do this, you're capable, you're confident, you deserve this, mm -hmm. it's it's a no-brainer yeah. and you just do what you have to do. But when you have the mental mindset that you're trying to overcome mm -hmm. to do the little things, yep. that's hard. Yeah. And thank you for sharing that. I th I think um, we don't hear that enough about what it took to do the little things, mm -hmm. right? Because when you do have the right mind frame, life gets a lot easier. It does. It does. But it, it can, I think for a lot of us, it takes a lot of time and a lot of energy, a lot of blood, sweat and tears to get there. And I like talking about the little things and, and you know, the way the way you're dubbing them the humble beginnings, because I feel like so often we hear people's success stories when they've arrived and we hear mm -hmm. about them as though they were an overnight success. But oftentimes they're an overnight success that took 10 years to get there. But we don't hear about the 10 years of the struggle and the grit. We just hear about 
the the rosy vision afterwards. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. <laughs> so clearly, Kim, you've had success. Look at where you are now. And you talked about gaining that confidence. So take us back again. Let's let's put the microscope on one particular story and where you were playing small. Right. And you probably weren't aware of it at the time. You were very angsty mm-hmm. during that time. Right. And <laughs> yeah. probably a little unaware of like what your true value was. Now, looking back, you can see like you were very capable, um, but you might not have been aware of it at the time. Share with, with us that story. Sure. So the one that I would like to share is actually from not that long ago. It's from right after I went on out on my own with my business full time. I started, I made that, I'd been doing the the work that I do currently. Um, I'd been doing it part-time for a long time, just as a, you know, side hustle, labor of love. And in January, 2013, took it full-time as my primary endeavor. And the first couple of months went okay, but I was in this perpetual state of panic that it wasn't going to work. It wasn't going to be sustainable. I wasn't going to make enough money. Um, you know, it, I, I was very, very fearful. So I was simultaneously really excited and really afraid. And after doing it for a couple months and having some small wins, the, the, Fear just took over and I went out and looked for a full-time job. And as part of that process, I, well, as the entire process, actually, I accepted a position that um, on the surface, I, I was able to rationalize to myself why it was a good idea because the consulting firm that I joined was one whose mission I really believed in and that I was very excited to be a part of. And the piece that I rationalized was that it was okay for me to take this position that I took, which was a very junior level position. And I decided that it was okay to do that, um, despite the fact that not just the title and the money, but also the type of work that I would be doing was way, way, way below my level. And so it was the kind of work that I had done, you know, seven or eight years prior in an entry-level kind of role as I started in career development. And I found myself back in that position, you know, kind of telling myself why it was okay to do that. And it wound up being a complete disaster. (laughs) Um, So it was one of those situations in which I absolutely did not take my own advice, uh, the the kind of things that are just no-brainers to me to say to clients. I I neglected them within myself. I didn't value myself enough to say, you know, no, that taking this type of really junior role at this salary, which, by the way, they wouldn't negotiate with me. I tried to negotiate it, and they just said, absolutely not. This is the budget. You know, take it or leave it. And that should have been a huge red flag to me right there, but I decided to ignore it. So um, I wound up staying there for a month <clears throat> before the whole thing imploded. And, um, you know, in hindsight, it really was something where I, I look back on it now and go, oh my goodness, you know, I, I was not valuing myself in, in a way that um, made sense relative to the way the rest of the world viewed me. And, you know, any outside observer, uh, minus the people who hired me, <laughs> would have viewed me <laughs> at that moment. And um, for me, it was a really good learning process. I spent so much time talking other people down off the ledge of making fear-based decisions, but to actually go through it myself and realize, wow, okay, this is what was going on with me internally when I had this scarcity mindset. And these are the kind of decisions that I made, which ultimately were 
counterproductive. I mean, I don't necessarily regret taking that job for a month, but um, at the same time, I, you know, I look back on it and I just go, wow, that is, that is really amazing to me that that's where I was. And I try to make sure that I don't forget that, you know, that I don't get so far away from that, that, um, you know, I'm just paying attention to the way other people behave and make decisions when they're in fear, but to stay in touch with it. Um, so that I can, you know, stay on course for myself, but also really empathize better with other people about why we do the things we do. I was just thinking that what a great lesson to learn and one you can pass on mm-hmm. to your clients as well, because that, I mean, when it comes down to it, yes, sometimes we do things out of fear, mm-hmm. but you know, without a doubt, like in that scenario now, you could never say yes, because right. you know, it would blow up. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and all the reasons why it would blow up. So, you know, you can put the fear aside knowing, well, if I take this position, then I would have just wasted a month where I could have been looking for a better mm-hmm. yep. position, a more, you know, one that I could probably have kept. And, you know, and the, the other lesson I caught from this, too, is, you know, you, you can't. How do I want to articulate it? Like, you can't say yes to something that doesn't show your value. Mm -hmm. Like there's not a value exchange. Like you had so much to offer this place and they were not willing to give you a value exchange for it. So there was going to be discontent Mm -hmm. there. And that's important to recognize for anyone who's, who's going into any situation, especially in your career, but any situation, it could be, you have your own business and you're getting hired by clients, or there's an exchange of services going on, you know, doing a favor, exchanging favors. There has to be, um, a a clear equitable value exchange Mm -hmm. in it. Otherwise it doesn't, even in friendships, if there's not a clear, if it's not an equal value exchange in the friendship, I mean, friendships can go off balance for a little while and even work can go off balance for a little while. It can be short term, but it's got to come back and it's got to right itself. You know, if you're in a career or a relationship that's been out of balance for years on end, like that's, that's a cause of misery. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things, maintaining that balance, that equilibrium, that reciprocity, I I love really framing things in terms of that, that we want all of our relationships to be mutually beneficial, whether they're personal or professional, whether they're, you know, between two people or between businesses, but that that idea of mutual benefit. And that doesn't mean that everything has to be equal in a one-to-one ratio. I mean, there are certainly situations in which, you know, you've got a, a mentor and a mentee, and obviously there's a power differential there. But if it's a healthy, successful relationship, the mentor is getting as much out of it as the mentee is, that there's that mutual energy that goes into it and both parties walk away better for it. Mm -hmm. And Kim, now share with us a time in your journey when you had a wake up call. Mm -hmm. Take us back to that moment Mm -hmm. and share with us the steps that you took that led to your success. Sure. So I... I don't like generally focusing on wake up call or aha moments because I think that, you know, fundamentally it is all about the little stuff, you know, change and development is a process. It's not an event. And at the same time, uh, there are, there have definitely been a few moments along the way. So 
in particular, when I was in that terrible <laughs> month-long job, I had a couple little wake-up calls that helped me to get myself out of there. Um, the first one was <laughs> that one of the clients from my own business that I was working with landed a really, really prominent, prestigious position that I had coached her to get. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there at my day job, you know, feeling very small in my little box, getting messages from my client who's over the moon because she's been hired for this executive leadership role and, you know, just saying to myself, what the heck am I doing here? And then, you know, shortly on on the heels of that, I found out that uh, a research paper from a previous position uh, that I had I had uh, co-written but was first author on, I found out that that had been accepted for a publication in a peer-reviewed journal. <laughs> so again, you know, I'm sitting here in my little tiny cube, feeling very unimportant uh, and and getting these external affirmations, all of which helped me to uh, get myself out of there eventually. But then the thing that really, I think, stands out to me from fairly early on in my entrepreneurial journey is that within a couple months of leaving that position, I realized that there was this thing happening where I would talk to my friends about what I was doing and they would say, you know, oh, how's it going? You know, did you find a real job yet? Um, what's what's going on? Um, you know, in terms of was I was I doing my business or was I a job seeker? You know, what who was I? What was I doing? And that whole did you find a real job yet thing that really started to mm -hmm. irk me. And I realized that so much of it simply came down to people believe what we show them, not so much what we tell them, but what we show them. And so for me, that was this huge wake-up call to start showing them something different. So rather than all of the hedging and the excuses and being shy about what it was that I was doing, I started answering them much more boldly and much more confidently and saying, oh, no, this is what I'm doing. I've taken my business full time and this is how it's going. And these are the people that I'm working with. And this is what I'm excited about. And really, there, there was this period of a couple months where in my social life, that became my mantra. You know, when people asked me how things were going, I projected with confidence that that was what was happening. And this is what I'm doing with my life. And hey, come along for the ride with me. And it made such a huge difference <laughs> just to, to get out of my own way and to start talking about the things that I was fired up about and to get other people excited and fired up with me. Mm, it's amazing how when you declare something mm -hmm. confidently, how quickly it comes about. Yeah. Yeah. Because everyone's just on board with it. Mm -hmm. And Kim, I have to say, it's so amazing because I love, I love that story where you're like, here I am in my small job mm -hmm. and my clients are having these amazing victory mm -hmm. stories, right? That tells me one, like you have an amazing process that you take your clients through, mm -hmm. um, that gets results. So you, you were an expert in the process. And what I was hearing was you didn't do, put yourself through your own process, yep. right? Or you, you were yeah. skipping over a step. And I see, I see coaches and counselors and consultants do that all the time, right mm -hmm. there. They, they developed a system because it's part of their own story mm -hmm. and their own legacy. So they know it's really, our systems are a reflection of our own weak points. Mm -hmm. And so we've developed these systems and then we share them with the world. But what we can oftentimes our Achilles heel is then we fall back into our old patterns. Yep. 
Yeah. And, and it's amazing because that can happen where you could have the most successful clients and be earning $30,000 a year or less. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so easy how that happens, but you caught on to it and turned it around. Yeah. And it definitely it is absolutely what you're describing, where it's so easy to slip back into our comfortable patterns. You know, those neural pathways are burned in our brains. And if we're just comfortable enough, then we won't want to change. And it's hard to turn the lens on ourselves. Right. Or fear gets the best of you. Right. The old patterns come back. Yeah. Um, because they were there for so long that our, our brain just like shuts down and goes back to, you know, some of those strong connections. So very cool. And this is actually an interesting segue because I'm curious how you're going to answer this question. It's about how we lead because we all lead differently. Right. And I'm sure you see this in all of your clients too. You get, I'm sure you have quite a, a diverse spectrum of people who come to you, but how would you describe your own leadership style? This is one of my favorite questions and also one of the ones that is hardest to answer <laughs> just in life <laughs> in general. Um, so the the sort of easy academic answer is that I am a big fan of situational leadership and um, I'm also a really big fan of strengths-based leadership. And those are, are things that I could, you know, wax on about for quite some time, you know, the, those types of influences in management theory and whatnot. But um I think that for me, fundamentally, it's a combination of the fact that I, I spend so much time working with people who don't see how big they are. They're perceiving themselves as much smaller than the rest of the world perceives them and really being able to have a lot of empathy for them and wanting to bolster them, wanting to help be that mirror that they can look into to see how powerful they really are and how much potential they really have that if they would, you know, just stop poo-pooing themselves, which is easier mm-hmm. said than done. Um, so, so I think, you know, that's really where the strength space side of things comes in. And then the other side of um, my my leadership style is that I really just love delegating. Um, one of the things that was the most frustrating to me in the management roles that I was in before I went out on my own was that I invariably had people on my teams who were incredibly talented, incredibly passionate about their work, absolutely, you know, valued contributors. And it would be like pulling teeth to get them to come into their own and to embrace their own ideas and to stand up for what they thought was most important in the work that we were doing together. Um, I think there are a lot of people that uh, because of whatever power hierarchies are in place, they just want to defer to those hierarchies because it feels safer. It feels more comfortable. And I would, you know, go off on these, you know, tangents about these soapbox rants about how just because I was their boss didn't mean that I had all the answers and that I I wanted them to, you know, take ownership of the things that they were working on. And I wanted them to, um, you know, have different ideas than me. I didn't want to just be surrounded by a bunch of yes men. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. um, so, and, and that showed up in my, professional life and then also in my personal life in some projects that that I organize on the side, different community things and, and arts projects where I really love being surrounded with talented people who have talents that I don't have, you know, things that are complementary skill sets and really giving them the space to do whatever it is that they do best because that's why they're there. I can't do it all myself, nor do I want to do it all myself. I want to be, you know, providing gentle guidance and the framework and the 
structure to help other people succeed, but it's up to them to make their own success. And that's really the type of leadership role that I, I like to be in, in the most. Well, you found the perfect field for that. That's for sure. You know, it makes perfect sense, the work that you're doing and the style of leadership that you prefer, because it's really all about finding what is unique and exceptional Mm -hmm. in other people, helping them to see it Mm -hmm. and then drawing it out of them so that they can go on to have the career that they want to have and do the work that they want to do. I love that. All right, Kim, what is one thing that you're really excited about that you're working on right now that you'd love to share with us? Okay, God, there are so many things. I wish I could tell you about all six of them. But um, <laughs> I'd say the, the one thing, and this is fairly early on in its, uh, its process, but um, probably later this spring, I think is going to be the rollout date for programs on negotiating specifically targeted at women. So um, that's probably going to be a combination of some in-person seminars, some online webinars and training programs and things like that. And then obviously I do a lot of individual consulting around that. And so when I say negotiating, I don't just necessarily mean negotiating a job offer, negotiating salary, negotiating a raise, but really negotiating in all areas of our lives. And how do we come to those mutually beneficial agreements with people while simultaneously embracing our power, but then also being sensitive to what it means to be a woman doing a negotiation, because there are really gendered differences in in that arena. And more and more, this seems to be something that, that people I talk to are really hungry for. And, you know, hungry for it, irrespective of gender, but obviously there are some things that are a little more <laughs> near and dear to my heart. And so negotiating for women is really at the top of the list. So that is something that I'm working on currently and really excited about. And that's one of the skills I think most women would say, I'm not good at this. Mm-hmm. I am not good at th- I met a woman recently who's very good at sales, very good at negotiating. And I was like, do you realize what, uh, like how rare you are? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you do not often hear women say, oh yeah, I'm totally comfortable going into a, a room and negotiating yeah. for myself. Right. Cause it starts with value and worth and, you know, what your strengths are and, and what you have for leverage mm-hmm. um, in any situation. And actually, Kim, I'm, I'm going to be launching a, progr- a program in the early spring that's all about um, getting yourself to a place where you are promotable. Oh, so your course, your course is probably going to be a great jumping off point mm-hmm. from there. So we'll have to chat more about that. Yeah, so I absolutely. Love I love that. that. Yeah, I love what you're doing. I'm excited. It's something I I don't currently offer negotiating. And actually, I'll probably end up in your course at some point, too. So that that would be certainly delightful. You can. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Now I'm going to do a quick leadership roundup. Mm -hmm. So Kim, tell us, what is one practice that you have that helps to make you a better leader? I would say the biggest thing is active listening. And that's a skill that I think it gets a lot of airplay in business scenarios, but honestly, having a counseling background is the thing that really hammered that into my my head as something that I'm able to do in my work. And so by active listening, simply that can just be described as not listening to you without thinking about what it is that I am going to say next. (laughs) 
And really being a leader who can be there and be present and be in the moment with people and not thinking about my own agenda or my own thoughts or this cool idea that I have, but really being able to listen and tune in to what's going on with someone else. Because fundamentally, no matter what we're talking about, whether it's, you know, an individual person situation or a business that's trying to enact some sort of change or whatever it is, everything we're doing is all about our relationships and our interactions with other people. And the more substantive, the more genuine those relationships and those interactions can be, the better off everyone is coming out on the other side. Yeah. And that's definitely uh, a skill that's worth practicing Mm -hmm. and getting better at. So that's awesome. All right. And what is one book that you would recommend to a woman to help her develop her leadership? For me, it's really a toss up and I'm going to break the rules and give you two. So the (laughs) first one is uh, Body of Work by Pamela Slim, which she's one of my favorite career guru people out there in the world. And I love Body of Work because it's really about not our specific career, but rather who we are as a whole person and how does that all weave together to become the story of the value that we're giving to the world. And I, I just I find it comes from a really strengths-based, empowering place that's also really tactical and really usable. Like you read that book and you come out with some really great takeaways for both yourself and then helping other people to see their own common threads in their stories. So that one and then nonviolent communication which I think is just a a must-read business book for pretty much everyone on the planet. (laughs) Um, Because again, going back to this idea of active listening, um, that's a huge part of nonviolent communication. And if you're not familiar, the name is a little bit of a misnomer. It doesn't really have anything to do with violence. (laughs) (laughs) It's the worst titled book (laughs) on the planet. It is. It It would be really great if they went through a rebranding. But it's it's a framework for being able to talk to people and being able to connect in a way that is deep and meaningful, no matter whether it's, you know, a huge business deal or the fact that you need to get that refund from the grocery store because your potato salad went bad. Um, You know, it's it doesn't matter what it is. It's one of the best communication books out there. Yes, yes. And I think what it's trying to point at is like being able to communicate without getting defensive because I think we we are wired to take things very personally. And when we take things personally, we get defensive. And when we get defensive, conversations can get heated. So this this book uh, like helps you through a process of staying calm and staying on on point mm-hmm. yep. so that you're better able to, one, communicate what you need and then get what you want. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Awesome. Exactly. And Kim, what advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> um, really, <laughs> just to to hang in there. When when you say younger self, I'm immediately zapped back to that place uh, that I was in as. as- as a teenager, where it just felt like the entire world was falling apart and I was never going to be okay as a grown-up. I was never going to be able to take care of myself. I was never going to be able to make, you know, good contributions to make the world a better place. And that I, I was wrong. <laughs> and and to just hang in there and keep chipping away at it. Um, and that it's gonna be okay, which sounds kind of hokey, but like honestly for me, that is what I needed to hear when I I couldn't envision that there was a light at the end of the tunnel. That would have been <laughs> that would have been good to know. 
That's great. I think that's great advice for anyone at any stage of their life, because there I find myself at times like <laughs> in my present life, which is going well, where I'm just like, whew, hang in there. <laughs> you yep. will get through this. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, everything passes, you know, everything is impermanent and it's going to evolve. <laughs> I love that. All right, Kim, share with us a success quote or a mantra and why it has meaning for you. Well, the one that I want to share, it's actually just a small chunk of the longer poem, uh, which I, I never know how to pronounce it, but I think it's Desiderata, which mm -hmm. shows up in a lot of um, a lot of religious contexts. But I just I love it for the overall message of, of the whole thing about um, keeping perspective and being positive and striving for higher ideals. But the piece that I love that whenever anyone asks me for a mantra, this is what I, I always go back to. Um, and it's kind of a mashup of parts of it. But it's that the universe is unfolding as it should strive to be happy. And the reason that I love that one is I, I had it on a post it on my mirror for a long time in my 20s when I was feeling not <laughs> so happy and, and not so stable and not so sure that the universe was was unfolding as it should. I needed that reminder to myself. And um, I like it now still today, even though I don't have that posted anymore. <laughs> and I've, you know, moved 3000 miles from where, where I was literally. Um, but I like it because I think it's really easy to get caught up in all of the, the little things that can keep us down and keep us from focusing on things that are truly nurturing and sustaining and fulfilling. And that if we do kind of step back and think about being these tiny little specks in the universe and that, you know, ultimately nothing in the grand scheme of things is that important, there's this liberation that comes with that. Because the other side of it is, hey, I am this tiny little speck of dust in a, in, a, in a greater universe, but I can put all of my time and energy into doing things that are both going to make all of the people around me, all of the, the lives that I touch that much better, and simultaneously enhance my own happiness and my own sense of fulfillment with my own life. So there's a little bit of a, a dichotomy there in the messaging, but for me, for whatever reason, that one just always resonates that, um, you know, it's up to me to strive to be happy in, you know, this big universe that's doing all all sorts of things that have nothing to do with me. Oh, I love that. And you just brought me back because I had the Desiderata on a poster on my wall in college mm -hmm. and used to read it yeah. all the time. It was just a great reminder about, you know, um, personal responsibility and not worrying about what other people are doing, you know, to focus on just again, like that, that theme again of just being the best version of you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That you can be. So yeah. thank you for that sure, reminder. Sure. All right, Kim, what is the best way for this community to connect with you? Well, the most central way to do it would just be through my website, which is kimeisenberg.com, K-I-M-E-I-S-E-N-B-E-R-G.com. Um, from there, you can link out to all of my social profiles on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and all the places. But yeah, <laughs> website's probably the best jumping off point. <laughs> 
Awesome. And for those of you who are out for a jog or you're in your car, don't worry because all of the links and resources that Kim shared in this episode will be at womentakingthelead.com or you can use the short link, which is womentl.com. And then you can connect to her with on her website. All of that will be there. And Kim, thank you so much for taking the time to inspire and enlighten us. We are all better for having met you. Thank you so much, Jody. This was such a pleasure. Thank you for joining me on Women Taking the Lead. Were you inspired to take some action today, but maybe don't know where to start? Or maybe you have so many great ideas you can't decide where to focus your attention. Don't let stress or overwhelm stop you from having the career, the business, or the life you want to live. Head over to womentakingthelead.com forward slash coaching or use the short link womentl.com forward slash coaching to sign up for a consultation with me. And to strengthen you on your leadership journey, I'd like to send you off with a quote from Marianne Williamson, so here goes. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Again, thank you for joining me, and here's to your success.